I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Ben and Susan Borland. They lead a church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Ben and Susan serve as the evangelist and women's ministry leader for that church. They've served in the full-time ministry for over a decade, first in Denton, Texas, and then Norman, Oklahoma, before making their home in Oklahoma City with their three children. They both earned their undergraduate undergraduate degrees from the University of Texas at Austin, Ben in creative advertising, and Susan in Spanish. What's impressive about this couple is that they're in their mid-30s. They went from leading the campus ministry in Oklahoma City to leading the church. At the time, the church is about 30 years old. Church had declined in membership to around 60 disciples. But through their effort and their faith, the church has rallied and started growing again and just crossed the 100 barrier which is very, very unique and difficult to do. I talk to them, and they share about their philosophy of ministry, how they get into the community, and what they would do if, if a person wanted to be fruitful or to revive their campus ministry. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Ben and Susan Borland. They lead a church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The church has been there nearly 30 years. One of the things that makes them remarkable is that they started as campus ministers in the church and then took over the lead role of leading the church. And then, even though the church had declined in membership and stayed there for a number of years, Through their leadership, the church has grown from about 60 disciples to over 100 disciples. They've baptized during COVID, and they're enjoying themselves along the way. We're going to talk more about what they've done and what they've learned in just a second. But before that, I want to invite you to a men's retreat we're organizing here in Tucson on the weekend of April 1 through 3. This is going to be an amazing event. It's located at a beautiful campsite about an hour from Tucson, It's a great time to get away, listen to some powerful lessons, and hear from a man named Delano Stewart. He leads the church in Las Vegas. And so if you want to grow and enjoy a powerful spiritual opportunity, I'd love for you to join us. It's going to be a great time. The theme is Generation to Generation. We'll have information at TucsonChurchOfChrist.org and also RobSkinner.com. Ben and Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great to have you. It was awesome to see you in Dallas at the Climb Small Church Leadership Conference. Yeah. That's not too far from where you guys live. Nope. No, two and a half hours. Oh, man, it's just head south and boom, you're right there. Yeah. That's nice. How'd you guys become Christians? Uh, Yeah, so uh, I became a disciple my freshman year at the University of Texas in Austin, and um, uh, Matt Brown uh, was my campus minister then. Uh, him and his wife live uh, live in Nashville now, leading the church there. 
And uh, I, I didn't grow up much around church. I'm from South Louisiana originally. And um, so mostly in an atheist household, I was not looking to get connected with the church, but the church found me on some level. Uh, my mom likes to talk about how backwards her boys are. And one of the ways she described me is that, uh, you know, everyone else's child came back from college with tattoos and my son came back with religion. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, it's just, you know, I, I just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in my family, like my my college experience um, to a lot of my peers. And um, so it was, I mean, it was groundbreaking for me. I think studying the Bible, people knowing their Bible really well, uh, which is very new. And uh, but they also plugged me in. I, I played flag football with them. I played on their intramural soccer team, which was awkward for them at times. So, uh, you know, to have a non non-christian on your team sometimes you're like what's going to happen right uh, but definitely just fell in love with the group and uh, uh just a great campus ministry very fond there so still love austin texas mm. so yeah. yeah um i i grew up in the church my my parents were actually baptized ooh, i think in the, the late 70s in columbus ohio and um my mom heard about the ICOC and she went to a Boston Women's Day. And my dad, who was working for Wendy's International at the time, the, the restaurant thing, <laughs> put in a request to move to either Boston or Chicago. And uh, we moved to Chicago. And uh, from two until I was 18, we lived there. And I was a part of the teen ministry. And I was baptized in the teen ministry when I was in eighth grade, actually. So I was just shy of my 14th birthday. Wow. Okay. So your parents were elders in the church in Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, my dad was. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So how did you guys run into each other? You're from Chicago and you're from Louisiana, Ben. So how'd your paths cross? You should probably answer this one. Um, well, we met at the university of Texas at Austin. Um, I, I, we actually went on a group date. I was with somebody else when I was a senior in high school. Um, and Ben was with my, one of my friends and, um, a group date is like 14 people. This yeah. is like a, a busload of a date, <laughs> but, uh, there, he stood out to me. He's shorter than me. And I always swore that I would never marry someone shorter than me, or <laughs> but here I am. Yeah. So, um, but he stood out to me because a homeless man came up to our group and was kind of heckling the group. And it started to get veering on the edge of inappropriate conversation. And I was a, another guy <laughs> and, um, I thought surely he's going to get up and say something, but he didn't. And everybody was just kind of quiet, not sure what to do. And Ben said, Hey, I do you remember me. I met you a couple of weeks ago. And um, let me go buy you a coffee and, and something to eat and just walked him away. And I thought, wow, um, what a man of character mm. as a, I don't know, how old are you? 19? Yeah, probably. 18? Yeah, 18. 18. Um, so that, that stood out to me. Um, but we started dating second semester, my senior year, his second senior year. Super senior year. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know, he just he snuck into my heart <laughs> yeah don't underestimate us fifth years right that's where I, that's where i grabbed my wife so 
Yeah. So we, we knew each other for a long time. We dated other people in that time frame, And, um, and then we finally started dating in January, 2008. Yeah. So, last semester. Yeah. And then, uh, she took a job with hope worldwide in new Orleans, um, after we graduated and then, uh, Todd Assad hired me in Dallas to help with their campus ministry and youth and family in 2008. And uh, then her grant ran out. And uh, so she ended up moving to Dallas to be close to me. And we had a lot of mutual friends there. And uh, from there, we got engaged and got married in Dallas. And yeah, we got married in 2010. Yeah. In 2010. Okay. So you guys went through college together, but you weren't together romantically. Like, what happened? I mean, all of a sudden you guys just wake up and go, whoa. I, I didn't. Oh, well, so my first two years were at a different school. Okay. Um, I mean, I was at school in Dallas and then I transferred down to the University of Texas at Austin. So it's, it's only three hours from Dallas to Austin. And then, um, so we knew each other even during that time frame, And that was when we dated other people. And then, uh, I guess it was, he was going to go into the singles. So he thought, okay, I'm just going to get to know all the people that I'm going to go into the singles with. So he started just making not lunch dates, but just meeting up with the men and women he was going to go into the singles ministry with. And uh, so we started to spend time together. And then uh, he drove me to the airport on Thanksgiving morning so that I could go home. Um, and I remember we were going out to eat the night before yeah, and, and this older couple came up to us and said, it's so beautiful to see two young people praying together because we prayed over our food. <laughs> uh, we just would talk so long and have good conversations. And uh, he actually interviewed for the ministry in Chicago. So my family got to meet him and really liked him. And so. Wow. Okay. That's a cool story. So what brought you to Oklahoma city? I'll start. You'll probably finish okay. this one. And uh, uh, so uh, being in Dallas, its intention was always to train us and send us. And uh, they had in their 2020 vision to really help some of the smaller churches first before creating new churches and um, in Oklahoma just started to come into the fellowship or our region of churches with Texas and we're getting discipling out of Dallas. And so it, it built a natural relationship between us. And in fact, uh, so we were at the University of North Texas, which is in Denton, the Northwest part of, of Dallas. That was our campus ministries. We congregationally led um, the campus ministries in Dallas as well. Um, but we were training a young couple that we thought would graduate and, and go be interns at OU. And, but the Holy Spirit moved. It was just like, it, it felt like things were lacking. They were going to have like a lot of debt. And we're like, is this good to send people on the mission field in this position? And what happens if the ministry doesn't work out? Like, you know, anyway, so there's a lot of moments like that, some hesitations that I think now are from the Holy Spirit. And then I thought, well, maybe we're supposed to go. And uh, so the spirit knocked on that door, which, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not from maybe this area of the country, the University of Texas and OU are rivals. So, and uh, so it was probably 
everything naturally probably wanted to be like, well, we're not the candidates, you know? um, but only spiritually was the door cracked open. Like, okay, here's, here's a part of the mission, you know, the vision of our family of churches and, you know, well, maybe we're the ones to go. And, uh, and so we started to knock on that door. But then when I brought it up with Susan, her response was, Gross. <laughs> Gross. I do not want to go. Uh, now, is that because of the rivalry between the Longhorns and the Sooners? Is that the issue? Yeah, I think yes. But also, I mean, I grew up in Chicago and went to school in Austin and we live, we're living in Dallas. I didn't, I thought I was prejudiced against Oklahoma. I thought everybody wore overalls and had a piece of hay in their mouth all the time. <laughs> Uh, the airport situation is really frustrating. It's hard to get a direct flight out of here, which I know sounds really silly, but um, I, I just thought I do, I do not want to live there. We, when we would drive to Chicago a lot, we would drive through Oklahoma yeah. and the whole time we would just be wait, 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 wait. all about Oklahoma, how much we hated it. They have these $4 tolls and we, I, we would just complain about them all the time. <laughs> so so when it was initially brought up, I, re- I do remember what you're saying about the other couple, but I remember Todd and Patty in our living room saying, would you go to the University of Oklahoma and start a campus ministry there? And it, we had just had our second child and it was very easy. Our kids were sleeping through the night. They were, our daughter was not even two and our son was not even one yet. So they were really small. Our campus ministry was like clockwork. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah. It was growing. It was doing really well. We lived in the most adorable house with a front porch <laughs> swing. We could hear music from our front porch. We could walk to restaurants. That was, I was so happy. And around that time frame, I started feeling also restless in my faith. And I felt like God was calling me to do something. And I thought maybe he was calling me to write a book or maybe he was calling me to adopt a child. Um, but I started praying, God, show me what you want me to do. And when Todd and Patty asked us to move, it didn't even cross my mind that maybe that's what God was calling me to do until the day that we moved, which was six months later. I was like, Ben, do you remember that I was praying for something to happen? What if this was it? And um, so I, yeah, so it was right before Thanksgiving when they brought it up and I thought I can't even talk about it. But we, I was about to be in one of my best friend's weddings and we were going to go on Thanksgiving holiday with his family. And I thought, I, I just can't talk about it and maybe they'll forget. And then we met with them right after Thanksgiving and they said, well, have you been thinking about Oklahoma? And I just sobbed. I just, I just sobbed. I don't want to go. So we drove up here secretly. We didn't tell anybody and we toured the university and we went to like the public library and we walked around because we spent a lot of time at the public library with our kids. So we just walked around town and went out to eat and stuff. And I thought, you know what, we could do this. Um, we could, we could live here. So we accepted that position and we started recruiting people to come with us. And we actually developed a team. How many people? It was like six, 14. 16 with us. So 14 wow. people, 16 with us to move, um, during the summer of 2015. Wow. So you've kind of gave it a surge or a second wave kind of almost like a replanting in, in a, in a certain way, certainly a big boost shot in the arm for the church. Yes. And we did ask all of those people. So 
Um, Oklahoma is north and Norman is about 30 minutes, 25 miles south. Um, and they were actually meeting in a suburb in between those two suburbs. And so we asked everybody that was coming, can you please move to Norman with us where the University of Oklahoma is? And so all those people did, I mean, there was, there was a, an older married couple that moved with us and then a lot of singles and college students and then our family. Okay, so, so let's, Norman, okay, Oklahoma City is, is 30 minutes north of the campus. Is that what you're saying? And yeah. Nor- Norman is the name of the town where the campus is at. Now, do you yeah, currently right. live in Norman or are you in Oklahoma City proper? We live in Oklahoma City proper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but we did live in Norman when we were leading the campus yes. ministry there. But when we started to lead the church, we wanted to move into Oklahoma City um, in the center of town. And we've always wanted to get the church back there, back into the city. It was weird that it was called the OKC Church and it was meeting in a city called Moore. It just, it was. Yeah. Needed to go back yeah. to where it came from. And, and some of you guys are in that situation and you understand. Yeah. So. Kind of a compromised uh, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, talking to both of you guys in Dallas, getting to know you a little bit, and I, I've heard about you from other people as well. You've been growing in spite of COVID. Your church has been growing. And since you got there in 2015, the church has done better. You've just crossed 100 members recently. Can you talk a little bit about where the church was at, what's happened since you arrived, and just kind of give give a profile of where the church was at and where it's at now? Yeah, um, we've, and although when we first moved here, I think we were 65 on paper before we got the surge of, of people to come in, and we've kind of accordioned over the years, like, you know, one year, I think we had like 12 baptisms or restorations, I think our second year mm-hmm. on campus, and so it was like, oh, this is, we have a whole bunch of move-ins, a big surge, and you feel like you're going to go up and up, but then, you know, people start walking away, people move. And, and so it's like, you know, we got close to that hundred number then, and then we divided, then we went back down. So it hasn't been just a smooth climb, you know, up a hill. So it's trended upwards. Yeah. If you've been in the ministry, you understand that's that kind of happens. So, um, and and so I didn't want to make it where it's just like this smooth drive of every, we have this Midas touch with ministry. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, but I, I think the thing is that I, I think when not only just us moving, but I think the church just felt like so given to that people wanted to move here and we were coming with faith and that it wasn't just a ministry couple to come in, but people that wanted to be in Oklahoma and be a part of a change. And you could just feel the wind just moving. And um, one of the things Todd always says is that happy cows give milk. And I feel like that's just kind of what happened. People just got happier. There's just more joy in the air. And I think getting some of those little victories of, of baptisms or new visitors. And I think it just, it helped people to have a fresh faith um, again. So one thing I wanted to share was when we moved in, okay, we were the first people to move. And then the rest of the group that came with us kind of trickled in over the whole summer. So we moved June 1st and, um, we had never been to church with the OKC church. So our first Sunday was our first time ever really laying eyes on the whole worship service and everything. And I realized that there's no disciples between the ages of 18 and 25 here, um, which, so there was 
there was families. There wasn't even really a lot of young children. Um, there there's wasn't, one other there wasn't, family. yeah, there's one other family that had young kids our age. And then, um, so we were really surprised by that. Um, and then I remember our first baptism, a girl named Amber, she was on campus. Um, she, when she got baptized, I remember they brought in the whole children's ministry. And I was like, wait, what's, why, why are all the kids in here? And I get it. I mean, I get it now, but I had never, we've never done anything like that in Dallas before. I mean, of course our kids have seen baptisms cause you know, they were in the campus ministry at UNT and we would go to baptisms all the time, you know, but, um, I think it was just, they wanted their kids to be inspired by the faith of the disciples. And I mean, some of our older members, I, I, we were like, you guys let Amber, please. It's December. Let her go get out of her wet clothing because <laughs> everyone was so excited. Yeah. Everyone wanted to hug her and congratulate her and welcome her. And the people, the people here were so excited and inspired by the faith of young people. Mm. It was something that they, I feel like they deeply wanted to see and we're excited to see. And even us, I mean, when we moved here, I was 29. And, and even that, it was like, your young faith is so, I'm like, I'm almost 30, you know, <laughs> but they were, they were really excited by it and really encouraged by it. So, and, and uh, I, we mentioned that because I think this, it just kind of creates mo moments and momentum and waves in the ministry that I think you can capitalize on. And I think it's, it helped us to just build trust in the church where I think, you know, now I feel like the church has a lot of trust towards us and some of the crazy ideas that we have. But, and I think some of that momentum of things, building relationships in the city itself uh, and connections helped us during COVID. And, um, and, and I think the church was still able to do some exciting things, even when we weren't able to meet together. And I imagine our experience in Oklahoma has probably been a little bit more mild as far as COVID has been concerned. Uh, compared to some maybe larger uh, populated cities uh, and areas, but um, you know we you know we we had lockdown. We we're very unsure. Our kids were like almost never in school. Um, kind of moments with three kids. Um, so there's a lot of things where we're like our, all our rhythms are thrown off. Um, but a lot of the church rhythms still stayed in place. And um, one of the big things I wanted to mention is that we do a. Uh, a prayer and fasting twice a year for 40 days, one in the spring and one in the fall. And, uh, I'm, and I think one of the things I learned in campus ministry is that there's just certain waves that come in. It's the same thing with adult ministries. It seems like uh, the floodgates seem to open for new visitors, usually around the end of August and September. I think when it's almost like a new year moment for a lot of people, their kids are back in school, That's summer's over. Uh, and we just feel like maybe this is a Bible belt thing. This is where I've mostly been a minister. So, but people are, are a little bit more open to new activities in September. The weather's usually a little nice. And so, so that's a time where we pray and fast for people to come in prayer request. Um, and the same thing in, in that end of March, April moment in spring, usually around Easter, um, you know, people are, are a little bit happier now that the the cold weather is going away. Uh, it gets scarier in Oklahoma because that's tornado season at times. So maybe the fear of God is more leaning people on then. the Lord a little bit more. And so we kind of lean in those directions that these are big times for our, our adult ministries outside of campus. 
um, for people to come in and do new things and try new things. Okay. Um, so, so let me, you, the church started in 1993. Yes. In our talk beforehand, you said it, it peaked out at about 128 or 130 people right around there, then declined down to in, somewhere in the 60s, and that's when you guys took over. You led the campus ministry for three years, and then you stepped into the lead lead minister role? Yes. Okay. And then how old are you guys now? 36 and 35. Okay. So you guys, are, you guys aren't even in your prime yet. You guys are just like warming up to your prime, but... You know, you're instilling faith in us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about, because that's what's so impressive to me, is it's tough to get a church to grow to 100. I mean, it's really challenging, period. Yeah. But to get a church that's stalled in its growth and, and has declined, that's nearly impossible. And that's what impresses me about people like Joel Nagel. And then yeah. talking to you, I thought, I've got to talk to them because that doesn't happen very often. Most oftentimes, churches just stay stuck and, they, and they, they don't, they basically hold what they've got and then they slowly die off over time. So you've talked about a couple things, but how have you guys helped the church to grow, to revitalize and baptize? Yeah, well, I think we kind of pulled from Dallas's playbook when I first got hired in 2008, I think was kind of when Dallas might have been at its lowest membership. It, it was definitely in the ballpark. And uh, Dallas had made the decision to invest back into the youth. And then I think they hired me and maybe like five other interns at the time. Uh, Ro Pierce was one of those too. She's leading in Tulsa with Vince. And um, so either we were trying to get back on campus and um, so I think that helped to move the church in Dallas a lot to see a lot of young people come in. And then while we were there, it just, you know, I think it, it just carried a lot of momentum for the church to see young people come into the church again. And um, so I, I think that's kind of what we thought might happen in Oklahoma, just on a different scale. And, um, and, and so that's mostly been it. I think, you know, uh, OU hadn't had like a a real campus ministry with a campus minister for over a decade by the time we came in. So uh, I think there's just a lot of hope in the air, uh, a lot of fresh faith, uh, new faces. And I always feel like fresh stories are things that help to, uh, to breed. That's a Mark Mancini quote, by the way. So, um, you know, just bringing in fresh stories really helps. Um, and that's what I felt like we were bringing were just fresh stories, you know, our neighbors coming out um, to new campus students coming out. And also, I don't know if this happens in other small churches, but I feel like it's just like impossibilities happen. Like I, I bring some senior from OU uh, to, to Sunday service and then finds out like his internship is with another disciple in the church. And there's like 60 of us. Right. So and you're like, what how's that happen in a metroplex of a hundred of a million people, right? So there's just so many moments of like a small time feel, like like somehow we just have these moments where people connection. Now, although it doesn't always lead to baptism, it's moments of like, well, this is just interesting how God is working um, in the church, around the church, throughout it, and um, and that's one. Of the, oh, go ahead. So 
what you're saying is you brought a senior from the University of Oklahoma, and he was working for a disciple within your church, and you didn't know that? Or, well, he wasn't working for them. They worked in the same, um, it's it. like the, the water engineering Got it. plan. So, so, so it was a kind of a God coincidence kind of a thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we have those often. All the time. Uh, I mean, at least like once every two months, yes. I get blown away by this story. Yeah. Um, and like even the church building we're in, I, I know a lot of people are going to be familiar with the Beam front Fund, but they were in Oklahoma City. And uh, the church building that we now landed in during COVID um, is a building that they helped to build uh, for uh, for another Church of Christ. And so it's just like a weird story. You're like, you know, this is like a friend of a friend moment, how we ended in this church building. But then one of the older members was like, hey, I think the Beams helped fund this church, wow. you know, in the in the 90s. Mm. And, and then it came out to be true. And we're like, what on earth um, is has God been doing? Right. So um, anyway, so a lot of great moments like that. And so I think you need to keep your eyes open for some of that material. I think it's easy to have your head, head down um, when you're just looking to grow. But getting those stories and then getting those people to tell the stories from the stage. Um, I think really helps, you know, take advantage of some of those contribution talks and, and communions that not everything has to be their, their, how they became a Christian story, but, you know, stories that are just a little bit different. Right. So, because the gospel isn't like every story ends with, well, then Legion got baptized. Right. So, um, you know, but, you know, just a lot of different workings of how Jesus worked in people's lives. And um, so well, anyway, so that's one, one thing you mentioned in the pre-interview is that Susan is really good in terms of getting into the community. Can you talk a little bit about that, Susan? What are you doing? Um, well, my family is just, they're just charming. I mean, <laughs> my, my mom and my dad were just relationship animals. I mean, people have the great Joel Pede cries every time he sees me, I think maybe not the most recent time because it's been too many times, but, but because my dad said something to him that just kind of changed his thinking. And, and it's just, my parents were just great at being relational and almost annoyingly so like I remember being a child like can we please leave I just need to go to the bathroom or something you know and they're just chatting with somebody exchanging information and um so I love to build relationships I did not realize when we moved to Norman how many relationships were just handed to me from being in a big church I felt like all of my relationships were related to the church body. And when we moved to Oklahoma city, I mean, there's a small pool to choose from, not to mention it was really spread out. And there was one other mom who had children my age and she and I became, and are still good friends. Um, But I couldn't just have one person. And so for the first six months, I just, I cried a lot. I had two, casual acquaintances that had young children. I was so lonely and miserable. And so it was January, 2016. I decided the first person that asked me to do something, I'm just going to say yes. (laughs) My friend Kelly, who was, she was one of my two acquaintances. She said, uh, do you want to train for a half marathon with me? And I was like, no, no. (laughs) what time and when? 
And so I ran my first half marathon with Kelly in March, 2016. Um, and I have never stopped running, but running has been just such a source of relationships for me. I have so many friends that I have ran hours and miles, hundreds of miles with these people and just poured out our hearts and talked. And I prayed with people on runs. I've, I mean, you just, you say everything you get to the nitty gritty stories because you run out of stuff to talk about. Mm. And, um, so I think running has definitely, I, when we moved up here, I was like, well, I have to find a new running group. Cause we moved about 30 minutes away. So I, I went to a group called land runners and I met a really good friend of mine, Amanda, um, who I just, I'll just run next to people and I'll, I'll say, take out your earplugs. I want to talk to you. Um, and so I'll run alongside people and just kind of, it's like speed dating. No. Okay. Uh, oh, you have to walk. I'm not going to walk. Okay. I'm going to keep going. Um, so anyway, I have built a lot of relationships doing that. We have three kids, nine, seven, and five, and just, we live about two and a half miles from our school. So we have to drive there. We don't let our kids take the bus yet. I'm not ready for that. Um, and so we drive and we mark our kids as walker pickups so that we can just, we park our car on the street and we get out and we walk even in terrible weather, it's bonding. Um, but we walk every day to pick up our kids. We walk, um, because it helps us build relationships with the people that our kids are in school with. Um, you know, last year during COVID, our kids were not in person school from September to January. And so we created a co-op of five families and we traded off childcare. And that was also extremely bonding. I mean, we were in each other's homes. We saw our parenting styles. Um, so I think I, I have this coffee shop that I am totally obsessed with. And so I go there all the time. I, I think all of the baristas know me. I run past it a lot too. So they see me in, in all different states of being. And, um, we actually started having like a women's coffee night there. This was before COVID happened. Um, and I think we're gonna get back into them this year, but where we just rent out the whole space and we have just space for the women to come in and have real conversations and coffee. And it's it's shut down to the public. And that's also helped us build a relationship. Like the baristas have said, we really like to listen to the women who share their stories and mm -hmm. everybody is so kind and warm and welcoming. And I feel like we're supporting a local business. So that's good. Um, but it, it's just, I think those are the things that we, we know all of our neighbors, we're always walking and meeting people and talking to people. And yeah, I think, and at these women coffees, coffee nights, the church is excited. It's like one for one visitors yeah. for the women. So yeah. So you do that at a local coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. It's organized. It's like, Hey, bring out your friends. We're going to have a women's talk or. Yep. And we, it's really brief. I mean, it's about an hour and a half. We do them on Tuesday nights. We, we decided we were doing like a traditional 1995 women's day <laughs> and it's just so much work. Right. And it's so expensive usually for the church. And it was just like, I don't think we can handle doing this. Um, so we decided to have, it was actually on an ICOC hot news. Um, I think it was somewhere in like Sweden yeah. or something that they were doing these coffee nights. And I thought, well, let's do that. And um, 
So we started doing that and we charge $10 at the door. We typically break even for the church. So it's no money invested, um, coffee and pastries. And it's an hour and a half on a Tuesday night. And we do them, I don't know, three times a year. And we have one person share their story. And then we just talk. We have some questions on the table and we've tried different things where we've like mixed people up. So they're not next to someone they would typically sit next to. We always have coloring sheets and stuff on the table. So people don't have to look at each other. They can, they can color, <laughs> <It's less awkward. laughs> but it just, it feels less intimidating to invite your friends out to just a coffee night. Um, so that has been something fun that we've done in the community. Yeah. And well, I, okay, oh, yeah, go ahead, Rob. One thing that I want to talk a little bit about here is, okay, how, how, how big is Oklahoma city? How big is the area? Yeah. So it's a, it's a million by the Metroplex. I think in the city itself is 500, 600,000, something like that. Okay. So you got a million souls there. It's a lot of people. Now it's, it's interesting to me when you're talking about kind of the snobbery of going to a regional, you know, second tier city, it still has a million, you know, it's, it's funny. You, yeah. You're from Chicago and then from Dallas and it's, there's a challenge. How did you get over that, that kind of looking down on a city that's not the super metropolis? Um, how did I get over it or how did we get, over how did you both so, get over it? So for me, something that was, go anywhere, do anything. That's <laughs> for me, something that we, you know, we had little kids at the time and then we had another child when we moved here and, um, wow, just living in a smaller place with little children. I think it saved my life. Yeah. Um, we don't, we actually lived on a bicycle trail. We would bicycle to campus and we could drop our children off at their mother's day out on the way there in like a bike trailer. <laughs> Um, we, it was, it was adorable. I mean, we lived next to a splash pad that we could hear it go off in the day. Like we, we could, from the laughter, you could tell if the splash pad was on or not. What's um, a, what's a splash pad? Uh, it's like a, like a water playground, okay. like a playground Children, that sprays yeah. water. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so it was, it was really fun to live there with our kids in Dallas. Anytime we go, I'm like, Oh, the traffic. Oh my gosh. It was like, that was really hard. Yeah. The traffic was hard in anywhere we drove, even within our region, it could be upwards of 45 minutes to an hour. If you hit the wrong red lights. Yeah. So some of the transition, like going from a larger Metroplex, to a smaller one is you know, all of a sudden you're not paying for parking downtown. Um, yeah, it's like, what is traffic here is like, you're like, uh, God bless your soul, right? Um, but then like, even the responsibilities in Dallas compared to going to a smaller church was like, wait, I don't have to pick up flower decorations for the father-daughter dance. That's like, <laughs> like not even in my region, yeah, you know what right, I mean? So right. it's like, it's moments like that where you're like, oh, okay. But I think one of the, the hard things that was, is like we went from, you know, either someone getting baptized or someone being close to being baptized every Sunday to like, okay, like, where are we at with Bible studies? Do we right. even have any? Right. Like, it right. just, so I think that was a little bit of a harder feel yeah. and movement that first year. And, um, oh yeah. 
I honestly, I didn't get over the snobbery until I moved here and developed relationships with people. Mm, yeah. Um, and something that the uh, Joel and Christy Peed, we've heard them teach is just finding people of peace, like building relationships with people. And just, I mean, it's not even for the purpose of like, we want to help you be disciples. It's just, just, you're just friends. And those relationships, I think, obviously you're sharing your life with them. You're sharing your faith with them. Um, but maybe they're in another church and they're small group leaders. And you know what I mean? It's just, we just built relationships with people. And I think then I was like, oh, this is totally, this is just a different city. Right. I don't have, it, not everybody lives on a farm here. Um, there are <laughs> stores and yeah. there is an Apple store here. You know? <laughs> There is a skyscraper. There's a one skyscraper. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think just developing relationships with people helped tremendously. Right. Time helped tremendously. Yeah. Um, and I think God kind of helped us lead us to the right people. Yeah. And I think that really cashed in and for a lot of COVID moments for us, like um some some parents at our kids' school run like a, a like a community fridge. And, um, and then so, but they weren't an official like nonprofit and, and Trader Joe's has a, what's it called? Shares. Oh, neighborhood shares. Neighborhood shares. Well, they, they're unsellables. They'll, they'll give to a nonprofit. Trader Joe's the grocery store. Yeah. If you're familiar with those. And, um, and so anyway, we, we built a connection through them that through Trader Joe's through our church gets to give to this community fridge. And uh, we just got the tax work on it from this last year. So during COVID, they donated $84,000 worth of groceries through our church. Wow. With, so it's like, you know, three community places all working together. Yeah. And so it's been a cool moment of that. And so it, it connects us with two community moments. Um, but like we have this relationship with this coffee place. So we're just building a lot of these moments, even us ending up in this church building, which was a huge answer prayer for us that happened during COVID um, in a time where we're still dicey about meeting together. Um, and so it was just like a friend of a friend where, you know, they split off from a church of Christ to do some inner city ministry, but they weren't looking at to grow a church. That was not their skill set. They just wanted to serve. And, uh, and so we connected on that and there's a lot of negotiation along the way, but to be in an actual church, church space where we were in a strip mall for a while, um, and we landed into this church building in the, uh, in the city core for the same price we were meeting outside the city in that strip mall. And, uh, and so my joke over the last year was like, it's like this place was built for church. We don't have to set up chairs <laughs> every week. We're not lugging in kids classes, uh, tubs anymore. Like everything is, is there. So we built a great relationship with them. Um, and so it's just a lot of these business connections, nonprofit connections, and then just friendships. We've had a lot of, I know Dallas, I don't know if they have this reputation anywhere else, but they bring in a lot of speakers mm -hmm. and we don't have the big budget for that, but we try to bring people in a couple times, uh, you know, through the kingdom, some good speakers, but a lot of times they're just local experts. They're licensed professional counselors where Susan runs with a professor at a university. And so we've been wanting her to speak uh, on her subject. She's specific in apologetics kind of stuff. And um, so it's just a lot of those moments. Uh, another connection was our neighbors where we had some refugees share about their story, uh, moving from Burma 
to Laos, to uh, uh, getting into the United States and even their faith story with that. Uh, one of them leads a church now for the Burmese refugees here in the city. And that was in June. So like just some of those great connections that allows our neighbors to see our church. And, um, and it makes a lot of connections because we feel like once people are around our church, that's like the biggest threshold we need people to break. And because, man, disciples are just so loving and we just feel like that's our that's what we're so good at. We might not be so good on the stage in a small church setting, but the relationships has been huge. Um, and, and this might be hard with some people our age because we've had you know families come over for dinner. And I remember like one couple was like, people don't do this anymore. And we're like, this is our common life experience <laughs> is having dinner, not just as a family, but with other families. Right. Um, so it's like, I feel like we're culturally trying to break a mold um, at the same time as, you know, just, just seeing Christ work in people's lives and try and pull on and water some of those seeds that have been planted in people here. So, so last year you guys had 10 baptisms. And how did, how did you do that? Like, what, what were you doing specifically? Yeah, uh, most of those baptisms came from the University of Oklahoma with our campus leaders. We don't leave the campus there anymore, but that's Logan and Nikki Garda, which we had the honor of studying the Bible with them when they were freshmen at UNT. So they got to come back to us from Jeff and Kelly Smith's ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so it was awesome to have that just an instant connection. So we felt like we got to hit the, the ground running with them. And they've done a great job. Um, they're both very relational, um, opening up their homes. Like uh, you know, Logan, uh, you know, was a percussionist in the band there. He played tennis in college. And uh, so I think he just attracts men to him, whether they're whatever their nerdy niche might be, music or sports, or um, he has something that he can really bring to it. But I think what's helped us to continually baptize men at the University of Oklahoma is that um, uh, I, I, I like to think that it's just sports. Most of these guys, and I think it's like understanding, like, you know, these people are coming in they probably have like eight things that they're juggling. They're in a club sport. Uh, they're pledging for a fraternity. Uh, they might work part-time and they're in like three different clubs for like, you know, young entrepreneurs. And, um, right. so it was like, we felt like, okay, what are the things that they're already doing where we could jump in and, um, or things that maybe they want to participate in, but just aren't happening into their laps. So there's like, I've, I've continued to put on a flag football game, um, almost every Sunday, except when it's in during the winter time here. And we probably have like four or five disciples that come out and play, but, but then it's like all the rest are disciples. So I bring out a lot more yeah, non-Christians. Non so well, we get to study the Bible, but that's one of the things that helped me become a Christian. I think, you know, I think someone just inviting me to a Bible talk, I don't think would have done much to me, um, but the relationships I built, having dinners, playing sports, um, you know, late night talks or watching movies and stuff like that. And that's what they've created this great community of playing video games late at night um, and, you know, watching movies, doing fun things. It's the horse that I think that's really helped us to get here. It's just that fun, faith, fellowship. And in that mixture, you get to really move the heart in some powerful ways through the Bible studies. And um, so I don't feel like it's really huge groundbreaking material um, there, but I, I think it's, I think it's something that's really helped them to continually baptize um, in, in the ministry there. 
You mentioned in our talk a few days ago that you've converted some really great adults who are yeah. working in, in uh, blue collar, blue collar fields. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I think it, that just kind of happened. It's it just like old school evangelism. Uh, one woman's uh, husband was deployed overseas. And so she, every week she was, you know, in the mail room, sending off a package. And um, in fact, her disciples were sending stuff out to him. Um, and uh, so she got to build a relationship just with the mail workers there and inviting them out to church. And then one of those young women came out, studied the Bible, and it's just been life-changing for her. She's and uh, someone else in the apartment complex was just inviting people out to church. And then, you know, he got invited, then he invited his best friend. And um, and it's and it's amazing with blue collar people. I, I, I'd say don't underestimate them in your church and their influence because they're very down to earth people. They're very fun to study the Bible with. They're not coming with a whole bunch of baggage, I feel like. Um, but also it's, it's different than a lot of our college graduates out of OU who are teachers who make as much as we do. And then they got, you know, $40,000 of debt and then they bought a new car at the same time. But these are people with no debt. Um, you know, they, they make a great living and, uh, and, and very grounded and relational where I felt like they, they saw the health and the relationships and just jumped right into it. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's been really cool to see that happen. So nothing we specifically did to focus on that. It just it just happened. Awesome. The spirit moved. So, well, and uh, well, I think in that continual relation move, when you study the Bible with people, I think it's good to ask questions. Do you have any friends who might want to study the Bible too? Mm -hmm. uh, we at University of Texas, we used to call them spider disciples. You you cast this web, this network of people, and you end up studying the Bible with a lot of people just by following those threads um, sometimes. So, and that's what I feel like's happened with some of these people, you know, for him to study, then his friend to study, and then, um, you know, who knows where God will take it. That's all right. our fresh stories recently. So. Susan, let me ask you this. Let, let's say a person's listening. They haven't been in studies in a long time. They haven't baptized people in even longer. And they're like, man, I don't even know if I can be fruitful. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know how to make new friends. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in a rut, but I want to, I really want to find someone who's, there's gotta be some open people out there and what, give a prescription, give, give a, give a five step. Like what would you do if, if, you know, you, you've got kids, you've, you, you want to be fruitful, but you're just like, I, I'm so busy. What would your plan be? Um, I think so for me, I, I love to run, um, and all over. And I know this because I've traveled to other cities <clears throat> and I have gone running with social clubs in other cities. Um, so I know that they're everywhere. Uh, there are social running clubs and there's social, there's social clubs for just about anything. And people are really craving that connection. And I would, I found it funny because I would go to these social running groups and people came at six 30 in the morning on a Saturday by themselves to a social running group and wore their headphones. And so, like I said earlier, <laughs> I would run up next to people and yeah. I would be like, 
Hey, take, take out your headphone. Like, uh, talk to me. I wouldn't bring my headphones because I, I came to a social running club right? and I would just talk to people and people always tell me no one ever talks to me at these things, or I'm really intimidated to come. And I'm like, but you're still coming, you know, they, they are, they want to, you want people naturally want to connect to each other. Um, my mom is six feet tall and she has this thing where she just, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. Sometimes she just walks up to random women that are tall and puts out her fist and says, tall girl fist bump. And people are like, <laughs> like fist bumping, but they're, they don't even know why. And it's taking them a like, Oh, we're both tall. Okay. Okay. We're both tall. Um, but it's just, it's like, find someone who's like you. I mean, we love when our kids were much smaller, pushing your immobile child on a swing it's a great way to have a conversation with someone. Um, you know, I mean, even talking about the weather to people is a great way to have a conversation with someone just doing the normal things that you're doing whilst being friendly and talking to people Mm. is a great way to become friends with someone. Okay. So like even our, our campus minister, She's like, I want to build friends, but I don't know what to do. I'm like, what do you like to do? Well, she likes to read. So she started a book club and she's got people coming out to her book club. And, you know, it's just, what do you like to do? And then do that thing. Um, so That's great. So get, get into something where you can meet people in the community. Something's already going, running club, whatever it, whatever it is. Ben told me that you, you ran a thousand miles last year. Is that true? Yes. So I accidentally did it in 2019 because I was marathon training. And, um, then during the, the lockdown, I ran, I think I ran a half marathon every weekend (laughs) just out of like need to clear my head. And then, um, last year, so 2020 had happened very easily. And then last year I thought, oh no, I, I think it's, I think it was November and I was at 900 and I thought, well, I got to really, I got to <laughs> So I hit a thousand in December. I'm, I'm marathon training right now. So, um, it wasn't hard to hit a thousand in December because I was already running really long miles, but. Okay. So I've just got to ask you, you talked about the tall girl fist bump. Are you, <laughs> how, how tall are you, Susan? I'm 5'11". Okay. So you're, you're a shorty compared to your mom. <laughs> yeah well she she's probably the same height as me now <laughs> okay all right you know i think about becky clausen have you ever met becky clausen yeah, yeah. of course i gave her a tall girl fist bump <laughs> that's right i think i remember meeting her she lives in boise idaho with her husband chris clausen and she's the tallest person i'd ever met who was female she's six foot two and she met her husband, who is six foot three, just one inch taller. Like it's like perfect, ideal. Their kids are gonna be just amazingly tall. I just I don't know. Your kids are gonna be super tall. It seems like it depends on what the mom is in terms of height. That's how the yeah. kids turn out. Yeah. You have any? Yeah, ad- I, um, have you ever met Kurt and Heidi Ammons? I don't know them. No. They're also very tall. They just moved to leave the church in Milwaukee. Okay. Um, but yeah, I have an older brother who's six foot six. Oh, so boy. tall people just, they just don't intimidate me. <laughs> now, Ben, I just got to ask, how tall are you? 
I'm five seven. Okay, five seven. I'm a tiny Cajun. So. <laughs> okay, has that caused any problems? The the gap in height. No, I think it was just. I think we mentioned it earlier that Susan didn't want to marry someone shorter than her, and I had to break that ceiling for all all you shorties out there. I mean, people, all you short men. People definitely laughed at him when he was like, "Hey, I think I like Susan." People were like. Pfft good luck yeah and I remember giggling with my roommates because I was like I think Ben like has a crush on me he he kept like leaving stuff on my car when I was at work and just do it like he asked me on a date and it was he was he was starting to like make himself known you know and um I remember giggling about it but okay well I'm sorry for going off script there it just totally went off on a tangent there but, Something uh, you instantly know if you met us. So. Honestly, I think I think that it has freed some people up because people. My I was talking to somebody the other day who was kind of reluctantly talking, you know, talking to some a man who was shorter than the woman, and she was like, "But you, you and Ben, you know." And I think it kind of frees people up to go outside of that societal norm um so that's okay yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll a trendsetter he wears he wears cowboy boots a lot which do make him probably that like does an help. inch and a half taller there you go platform heels ben go <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay i want to ask you you ben like let, let's talk a little bit about a campus prescription okay yeah. let's say someone's leading on campus they're frustrated and they're going, man, where's all the conversions? I want more baptisms. I want to see this thing grow. It doesn't seem like people are super open. I mean, you know, by sight, doesn't I'm having a challenge here to get this thing going. Yeah. Give give me a, a five-step plan to get your campus growing in the wake of COVID. What what would you do? Walking onto a campus, let's let's just say that there's five or ten students there, and you're like, mm-hmm. I want to get this thing cranking. What would you do? Yeah, I think um, well, at least our recipe going to OU's, we knew a little bit about it, probably coming from the University of Texas. There's probably a reason why we're rivals that, you know, the people on campus here are, are the sharpest, you know, as far as state schools have to offer. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew who was king on campus at OU. It's it's the football players for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what's king for any campus ministry is freshmen. And OU, it's mandatory for you to stay on the campus your freshman year, which is a huge advantage for us as campus ministers. Uh, But also they had a lot of national merit scholars and that was our formula. And and we baptized in all of those categories. And and with that, it's like, it just relationally opens up the door for you in a lot of ways when you have a football player with you when you're five, seven and they're six foot three. (laughs) Uh, and they're wearing all the OU athletic gear. People recognize and, them. <laughs> yeah, recognize them, and uh, they're more willing to stop, right? So, um, and I think that's, I think that's what what we did. Like, what is this school really known for? It's what we did at UNT as well. It's a huge music school, but it's huge. It's like thirty four thousand students, but a lot of those people plug into the Dallas area. Um, so it's a lot of you know business engineers, like a lot of things that nursing. Um, but music is what it's really known for. And if you, if you probably, if you're looking for colleges, UNT pops up. And so we're like, we have to have a presence in this school. And that's where we met Logan, our campus minister, mm-hmm. through the music school there. But we've continued to baptize there, which is 
really uh, been quite fruitful for the worship ministry in yeah. Dallas. So you're welcome uh, for all those years of UNT of like really dredging it out for a lot of music students. But, you know, what is your campus really known for and go in there? And I feel like as a minister, that is more your responsibility than anyone else's. I think you're probably more socially trained, um, you know, to go into those groups and, and, and you just got to find where God's leading. And that's exactly what happened. These people were seeking God out. And you almost get the low-hanging fruit there um, at times. And so that's when you get the stories, I've been praying for this, or I'm looking for a group. And so a lot of times you're just kind of filtering through a lot of numbers you might get and connections. And so there's a lot of people in the NFL now that I've studied the Bible with um, because they're at the University of Oklahoma. So and, and uh, so I don't we don't really have a text relationship anymore, but when they were here, always talking about the game, different things like that. But even, hey, how are you doing mentally, socially, those kind of things. So I felt like I had a minister's checklist with some of these people, so. Um, I wanted yeah, to say something, yeah. I, I think another thing is just know, like, okay, so he said, what is your school known for? But also just knowing your school well, I think when we were at the University of North Texas um, is a great school it was a lot of people's backup school yeah. and a lot of people lived at home and, you know, they, or they were commuters or they were different type of students. So like maybe a married adult with children coming back to school at OU. It's, it is not like that at all. This is people's top tier first choice, their grandfather, dad, and uncle. And, you know, people feel like they are absolutely like, God's gift to earth, <laughs> which is just funny. But um, so I think our reach out style had to be really different. So at UNT, you could just, hey, do you want to come to Bible talk? Sure. I got nothing else to do. You know, it was very, it was very casual, very warm, easy to build relationships here. It was like, you have to talk to someone for a while. You have to go out to coffee. You have to buy them coffee. You have to, you know, you have to build a relationship with yeah, them trust. before they actually want to study the Bible with you. Mm. And we found when we were like jumping the gun too quickly and saying, Hey, do you want to come to this Bible talk? People were like, no, why would I want to come to your Bible talk? Like mm -hmm. I have seven other activities I'm a part of. And so I think just knowing the, the student. um, population is just it's really important and i think we figured that out about i don't know a couple couple yeah. months in we're like oh we gotta change it a little bit so especially if you're an older person going on campus reaching out to young people you know if, i think what helped a lot was when we had students in classes building relationships with people when they invited them out it was a totally different feel it was so much easier for the for the student disciples to make more disciples um, so I think just knowing what you're working with is really important. That's awesome. Yeah. And I just add in here, it's almost like a Sun Tzu, the art of war moment. But I think to really know our place in life, we moved here with like two babies. We had a baby here. So a lot of our campus moments were in our own home. Yeah. Like, uh, so like, you know, these these athletes were traveling from all over the country. So for them to have like a home cooked meal with yes. like, uh, you know, with us was huge. So um, so having that moment, like on Tuesday night, we just, we had what we call Trader Joe's nights. We buy like a bunch of random um, <laughs> items there. And then people would, you know, it, it'd be like our biggest visitor thing. And it was just, a, just us good. having a fun dinner night. Yeah. And our, even our own campus students loved it. And it's just fellowship, 
and fun. It was easy for us to do because we could put our kids to bed. And then, you know, in, in the rumble of the fellowship, you know, if you're a campus minister, your sleep. kids, that's what they go to sleep to. So, yeah. um, so it was just nice to, to have that, that element. We also lived walkable to campus. I shared that we could ride our bikes. We could hear the football games from our house. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. If you have small children and you're trying to do campus ministry, people have to come to you and they, a lot of students don't have cars, you know, so it's really important for them to be able to get to you very, very easily. Yeah. So it might be one of those moments where maybe you don't buy a house immediately, but you rent that space a little bit closer. Right. Uh, uh, for ministry's sake. Yeah. And you strike me as a very confident person. You're you're five foot seven, you're a little shorter. You're studying the Bible with tons of football players. Where does that confidence come from? It seems like you, you kind of remind me of, do you know, Dustin Pedroia? The no, uh, no. Baseball player for, you kind of look a little bit like him, but okay. he was a baseball player for the Boston Red Sox and he's probably around oh, five okay. foot se- five foot seven captain of the team. Where does that confidence come from? Yeah. Um, well, that's a great question. Wasn't prepared for that one. So, uh, but I, I think some of it is, oh, here's my preaching joke. I, I come from an amazing family and uh, my preaching joke is that my oldest brother um, is a neurologist, PhD, professor at UTD, uh, married a medical doctor. And, um, and then my, my middle brother is a rocket scientist. He works for NASA. His wife works for NASA. And so my preaching joke is my brothers are super smart and I'm just super. So, <laughs> and, and so I think it's helped me. I mean, there, it's just, uh, my dad's a medical doctor my mom's a nurse. Like, um, I grew up in, in a pretty cool household. Uh, my grandparents came to like my baseball games and stuff. And so, you know, I did, I just did well. Um, I was usually good at things. My mom was a, a jack of all trades, right? It's like, um, you know, and, and so it's just like, I love that. I played high school football and soccer. I was a straight A student in high school. Um, so I think all that kind of helped, but man, I think it's, man, God just took a hold of that and just, I think it really helped it bloom. And I probably do a little bit of discredit, but discipling in our lives has helped us so much Um, from our finances to our marriage, to parenting. Like it has just made us like way more confident in the things that we do. Um, And I think really making some faith, faith stretchful things, even for the church, like you know, we're going to be in Oklahoma City and we're going to be in a church building, right? And we're going to go past 100 and we're going to hire a third couple and uh, to do youth and family. And although we don't have the money right now, we will get there and we'll sustain it in the future. So, um, so I think it's one of those moments that really, you know, I don't, I I hear everyone makes this quote, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, but it's like, you know, of all the shots you don't take, you miss, right? So it's, it's one of those, uh, I'm a guy who has like 12 New Year's resolutions. And, <laughs> um, and so it's like, and I might hit three of them. Um, but I'm like, well, at least I'm hitting three. That's right. right. So, That's right. And so I think there's, I think there's a lot with me. I just got my master's from Rochester University. So um, for so all those people who are like, yeah, I want to lead a church. I thought, okay, I should probably get some uh, biblical teaching more on this. So that was huge for me. And I was in school the whole time during COVID. So online school for the kids, online school for me. And, um, and, and that was an amazing program. And I know Greg has already plugged it before, but it was great for me. 
and leading leading a church and probably helping my feet get a little bit more wet. Um, Can I so, say something? Yeah. I think also uh, Ben grew up in a really, really small town in Louisiana. Like when we go there, people just stop us in the grocery store. I mean, I, like everybody knows his family. Um, and so I do think that helps too. I, uh, Ben's also really, he's good at everything he does. And our daughter inherited that sort of oh, annoying yeah, trait. It's annoying. Um, <laughs> but he's good at soccer. He's good at uh, flag football or regular football. I mean, he's, he did great in school, even during the lockdown. He's done a great job leading our church. And even this past year, he was like, I'm going to become friends with running people. He doesn't run. He doesn't like to I run over a 5K. <laughs> uh, he ran a half marathon with all the guys, uh, the wives, or the wives I run with, the men he ran with. Yeah. And so we had like competing mornings, like who gets to run today? <laughs> um, I was just there socially. Like I was just. <laughs> yeah. He ran a half marathon in sweatpants. Like that's not something. <laughs> I was dying. You like, so. are, is Ben wearing sweatpants? Um, but yeah, he's just, he's really good at everything he does. And, and he is, he is confident. And I think that helps yeah. people. And I don't mind being the butt end of a joke and right. I don't mind my ministry laughing at me. Right. I'm okay with that. I, yeah. You seem yeah. very comfortable in your own skin. That's for yeah. sure. And I think it's good for us as ministers to have that. That's right. Our church can kind of let their guard down a little bit and have some fun and rib us. So what, what fuels you to grow during tough times? What, what's, what's your why? What, what's driving you guys? What's getting you guys up to get your church to grow when you could very easily just coast and just enjoy a nice little, you know, Midwestern lifestyle and what's, what's going on? Well, I'll, I'll go first. Okay. I, um, I think something that, so in 2017, we had our worst ministry year that we've ever had as far as... So like, we're leading campus at OU then. Yeah, as far as just Stats. reaching out and not yeah. really just not finding anybody that was looking and people walking away and leaving. And um, we had we had our last child at the end of 2016. So he was a baby and he was an awful sleeper. It was terrible. Um, and so we were tired and I said, I, I really need some help. And I, I sought out therapy and I have been seeing my therapist for five, five years now. <laughs> She's wonderful, super helpful. Um, and then also another thing that has really helped me is in 2019, I decided to study out the minor prophets because I just, I felt unfamiliar with them. Of course, I've read the Bible cover to cover multiple times, um, but I, I got up every day just excited to read my Bible. And that has never gone away. I wake up an hour before my run every time, every day, um, if I'm running. If not, I wake up an hour before our kids wake up because I have got to have time with God. Mm. And I'll switch my space. I'm either sitting by the fireplace or with a fire, or I'm watching the sunrise if it's in the summertime. And I have a cup of coffee. I have a routine. I have a rhythm. I absolutely have to have it. Like this morning, it was freezing cold. I did not want to get out of bed, but I thought I have got to have time with God before I start my day. Mm. And I think that, and then also just running. Like I, 
man, I love to run so much and it helps with my emotion regulation. And we call it run therapy when we run with friends, just getting out and blowing off steam and, you know, releasing all those endorphins. And I think, I think those three things really, really help me. And just, I think also having relationships is really important for us. So, um, but man, I, I love my relationship with God. It's just so special and so important to me. And I think that there was a, a long time when I didn't feel that way. I think probably baby times, it felt like it was hard to squeeze it in. And then when I got to a place where I felt a little bit more settled, it was like, I could never live without this mm-hmm. like hour of time that I'm spending with God each day. So. Wow. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I, I echo a lot of those things. I love my Bible. Like it's just, it's always opening up new doors for me. I feel like I'm not this person that gets stuck. I'm like, I'm just always excited about something new and learning a lot of things on the side. I think getting my master's really helped open up the door um, to a lot, a lot of new material. So reading through the Bible again, has been fresh and exciting, but I mean, the most exciting thing for me as a Christian is studying the Bible with people like mm-hmm. it's yeah. and their story. Like, I mean, it's, it's why I'm in the ministry. I love it. I love people. I love their stories. I love a part of that. It's just so incredible. I think even, I feel like my weakness is prayer though. And, uh, and I feel like, okay, I want this to be a strength of mine as a minister, if I'm leading a church. And that's why we do these times of prayer and fasting. And we take a prayer request from every member of our church and anyone else. It's been a big part of my evangelistic plan. I try to reach out to like 40 or 50 people, like, during this 40 day, uh, prayer and fasting, like, Hey, is there anything you want me to pray for? And, uh, and I've been doing that the last two and a half years, which helped open up the door for all my neighbors, my, my own family. Uh, and, uh, and so it's been, I I just feel more emotionally and spiritually connected to people than, you know, where it's just like, well, people are in my church or they're not. Um, and so I, I just feel like the spirit's been a lot more alive in my, just my spiritual walk through uh, prayers really opened up the door for me a lot, but, um, but the Bible, I think is the one that just keep on like, wow, man, I'm just so curious. I'm a curious little cat. At times. <laughs> and that curiosity takes me at places, which doesn't allow us to really read the Bible together. Yeah. Uh, we have to read separately and then come together. And those are some of the best times where I'm like, man, my wife is blowing me away with some of the things she's learning. And, and anyway, so it's just, we're in a good stage. I love where we're at with having small kids and I'm, I'm almost like a small kid myself at times, how much fun it is. And they're, they're kids. They still want to cuddle. Right. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm loving it right now. So any final words for those who want to make this life count? You can go first. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's, we're probably mostly talking to younger people here on some level. So, um, but I do want to talk to those who are older than me than 36. Um, I'd say that don't be a sleeping giant. I think a lot of people in my church had a lot of experience and just because you had a bad experience in the church or a rough decade, there's a lot to teach from that. And it's good for my generation to hear those stories and not just tales of warning, uh, although those are really good too. And I feel like a lot of the Old Testament is that. It's, I feel like it's 90% warning. Um, but, and, and I feel like, and, and, and that's why I feel like towards Todd and Patty, like they poured into us and uh, we, we could be the, their kids' ages, uh, but they poured into us. 
and loved us. Uh, you know, they opened up their home to us. I feel like we're mimicking a lot of things that they did. And uh, so don't, don't underestimate, you know, where you've been over the last 10 or 20 years. You have a lot of knowledge. Don't, don't sleep on that. And for those who might be our age or younger, um, you know, I, I feel like this is the Timothy scripture, but don't let people look down on you because you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, age is just, that's just time, but the spirit uses all. And I mean, just be in step with the spirit, wherever it might be going, be curious towards it. And, uh, and I think it's, I feel like, you know, although I'm this goal person, I have 12 goals a year, the spirit just does some more incredible things than I could have written myself. Mm. And so, you know, help, help yourself be open to that and, and, and let the spirit really write some of those details in. Um, so something I, I was listening to your podcast and I was listening to your interview with, uh, Doug Arthur. And he said, run through the tape. And I was sweeping and I cry. I just started crying. Um, just thinking about like, don't, don't stop. I think sometimes it's, it's tempting to think about, oh, this vacation when I can just quit, what quit being a disciple. No, I'm still going to wake up and spend an hour with God. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the spirit calls me to, I'm still going to reach out to somebody that I'm talking to, you know, it just, sometimes it just happens. Um, and then you can think that way with retirement too. Uh, just, I just can't wait to be done doing this, but we're never done being disciples. And, um, and it's kind of what Ben said, uh, uh, when we were in Panama in Panama city, um, I took a class, I took Jackie Marici's class and she did this whole thing about listening to God. And it was five questions to go over. I wish I had the questions here. I'm sorry. Um, but it was five questions to go over and just, you sit quietly and you listen to what God is saying to you. And we have done the exercise together. We have done the exercise with like singles or married. And it is so cool, um, to just stop and listen to what God's saying to you instead of trying to run around guessing or talking to people about it. But I think, you know, last year I took some women in my church and, we went on a silent retreat together and we stayed in this house. It was called St. Francis of the Woods. And it's, it is a spiritual retreat center. It was 40 bucks a night. And we stayed in a huge five bedroom house on this property that had walking trails and it, you know, had a full kitchen and we just stayed there and we, we did talk. We had some rules about talking. Um, but it was just mostly quiet. I think I slept for 20 hours in one weekend and I read a whole book and (laughs) went for runs and walks and I enjoyed moments with them, but mostly I just enjoyed the quiet and there was no TV. There was no cell service. There was no Wi-Fi. Um, and I think our, our lives are just so interrupted right now. And so to just get away and be quiet and hear what God's saying to you, I mean, you heard me even say, like, I was literally praying to God, like, what should I do next? Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And God's like screaming, you should go to Oklahoma. And I'm like, no, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think if I had just taken a moment to be quiet and listen to what God was saying, I could have probably moved everything a month forward. (laughs) But I think God speaks very clearly to us in the whisper. Mm. And, um, so just, just being quiet and taking that time. And, um, one of my favorite books is it's called so weird. Okay. It's called passion and purity by Elizabeth Elliot. Um, she went to Wheaton college. She was married to Jim Elliot, who was killed in, uh, central America by 
tribe that he was reaching out to. And her book is amazing. It's, it's a love story, but it's all about surrender. And, um, it takes them five years to get together and get married. And, um, it's, it's a really interesting story, but it's just about surrender and just being quiet and waiting on God. And she, she actually did her master's at the university of Oklahoma. And I was like really into that book at that time frame, And it was like, it, God was using her to tell me, you got to go to Oklahoma. Mm. She would sit in the stadium and watch the sunset and pray to God. And so I did that when I moved here. Um, But I think just being quiet and listening. That's great. Ben and Susan, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. you, Really appreciate it. All the best to you guys in Oklahoma City and going forward. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.